Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Good morning. I'm so happy to introduce you to Kristen Welch today. She is the CEO and founder of Mercy House Global, and I found Kristen on Instagram, which is kind of cool since I'm 71, but... um, she has a great presence there and a wonderful, wonderful nonprofit that I'm happy to introduce you to her and to it. And I just finished reading her book, Made to Move Mountains. It's a pretty book, has gold on it, which I kind of like. And uh, Kristen, just tell us a little bit about your family, and then we'll talk about your nonprofit. Yes, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here to meet with you and um, and speak to your listeners today. Um I am a wife and mom, been married, uh, it will be 29 years uh, uh, next month, and I have three children, uh, one that is freshly out of college um, in her first career, she is uh, 23, um, a son who graduates um, next month from college, and then a 16-year-old wow. a daughter, so fun, fun ages, I love this season. Of motherhood. It's so unique and I was totally unprepared for it, but, um, it's a joy and, uh, started mercy house global, um, when they were all young, um, it is about to celebrate its 14th year, um, as a, tell me their, tell me their ages when you first started it. Cause that's kind of a big thing, yeah. uh, how it impacted your children. Yes. They were, um, nine, seven and uh, two wow. years old. And um, didn't plan to start a nonprofit. So they went on this very wild journey <laughs> with uh, my husband and I, and it's been interesting because they would definitely, um, say that it shaped their childhood. Um, it changed our home significantly. And, um, there are good things about that. And there were hard things. Um, it's so fun to be at this stage where they have a lot of perspective and a lot yeah. of gratitude kind of in the middle of it, you know, when mm-hmm. you're talking about entitlement or, um, living a countercultural life, right? Like preteens aren't loving that, no. um, because it impacts <laughs> what you say yes and no to. Right. Um, but I love that we all have some perspective in hindsight to be able to say this was the best thing that ever happened to us. Um, so. I feel like God is so expedient. You know, he gives us a passion or a ministry or something, to do like we went through a 13 year remodel that has shaped our kids lives. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they are, I think they're, they live less entitled because Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And they also wrote great college essays because of that. (laughs) And we laugh about it now. We laugh about it now, but it was very, very challenging. And so God is expedient in that he gives us something to do. And then he gives us all these bonuses Or our children or the, our neighbors yes. or people who are watching and say, you know, is Sue going to fall apart again today? Or is she going <laughs> to trust the God she says she trusts? That kind of thing. Right. So great. It's true. Yeah, it definitely. Um, 
I think I thought I was saying yes for myself. Uh-huh. My husband and I decided together to say yes to something that was much larger than we were. We, you know, you don't always know that first step of obedience. I guess you really never know until you say it, what is around the bend or over the mountain. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it took us all by surprise, but my, um, I love that God is writing their story uniquely, um, as he's writing mine and yours and he uses everything. God yeah. doesn't waste anything. And so it's been, um, sort of a beautiful, brutal, uh, journey of discovery and learning how to trust God in the unknown. Um, and I think we choose gratitude. So we're grateful for it. Even, yeah. even the hard times. Mm-hmm. So tell us about, um, how you started Mercy House Global. It's a beautiful company. I I have to stop buying things every day. <laughs> I got some of your cards recently as a gift and then for me to use. Mm. I'm writing a friend who has brain, brain cancer. I write mm. her every Monday. And I oh, thought, I oh, you know, sometimes they're just little funny postcards, but I bought these especially mm-hmm. to send to her, which reminds mm. me today's Monday. So um, tell us about uh, the whole company and then how it got started. And then we're going to be talking about that the whole time. Yeah. So I started writing a blog um, years ago when my kids were very young um, and blogging has changed so much, but uh, way back in 2008, 9, 10, those early Mm -hmm. years, um, Compassion International was inviting bloggers to go on what they called blogging trips and they were taking them to Mm -hmm. third world countries to write about poverty. So that's Mm -hmm. when you went on your first trip. I was curious about that. Yeah. And so I went as a writer, um, to really write about, you know, poverty, give the voiceless a voice, all the things that as Christians who don't really know what, um, what God is going to do. I had, you know, I had (laughs) an agenda, a plan, um, and a job to do. And it was on that trip that my normal completely, um, was impacted by the world's normal. And I think, I think I was about 36 years old, maybe, um, 35, 36 when I went on that trip and, um, I thought I knew what normal was, um, but I only knew what my normal was. And Mm -hmm. so that trip very quickly exposed me to what's how 75% of the world live. And that is on less than, you know, $5 a day. And so, um, that, rocked me, um, wrecked me. And, um, and what, I can't, exp- explain that. I think I, um, I had grown up in church <laughs> and was a believer and had God figured out. I think if oh. I, you know, <laughs> we gotta I think be careful I thought, about that. Don't yeah, we? <laughs> I think I thought I had God figured out and mm-hmm. faith and, yeah. Um, but when I said yes to the trip, I was, you know, in achievement mode and like, oh, and I, I want to have this success and I want to be invited here. And, um, I really went on that trip as a, as a believer that, um, wasn't living out, um, their faith with action. Mm -hmm. I was just really collecting and, enjoying the benefits of Christianity, but I wasn't, um, I, I don't believe I was walking in obedience and, um, there had been other opportunities in my journey for God to become the center of my life. And Mm -hmm. instead of added to my life, like 
salt and pepper and mill, like Christianity flavored my life. I wasn't living, um, I wasn't living the life I was called to live. And I don't believe we have to go to Africa to live the life we're called to live. Um, I think we have opportunities along the way to respond to what God is doing, whether it's financial struggles, a marriage that's, um, needs, you know, that isn't thriving. It could be elderly parents, you know, sandwich nourishing. I mean, there's so many things, right. That we go through that give us an opportunity to be redeemed in a way that is, it changes everything. Um, for me, I think because I'm stubborn, God had to take me out of my comfort zone and out of my normal um, so that I could see the world's normal for the first time and do something about it. It was that last thing. I, I think it mm-hmm. do something about it. Um, I believe personally that I am not unique in my calling to care for marginalized people. I think that some people are called to do that, but I believe everyone is commanded to care for the marginalized in some way, mm-hmm. to care for vulnerable people. You cannot separate that from the word of God, just in Deuteronomy alone, 22 times, it says, remember the vulnerable, remember the marginalized. So we have a command and that looks different for every person. You know, it could be caring for an elderly neighbor or, um, you know, a widow in your community, a a woman with brain cancer. Like how are we caring for vulnerable people, children who are vulnerable in foster care? Um, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't caring for vulnerable people. And so, um, that was really my, my moment, my crossroads Mm. of, I can continue to live this life without perspective and perspective is a gift. It, you know, it shows us what we have instead of what we don't. And we, we often live from a place of what we don't have and perspective reminds us of what we do have. And so this, I had this huge perspective shift and I realized that my world isn't the world's normal. And the biggest deception is that I believe that it is. And so I had this huge moment of clarity and I I like to say I woke up in a slum in Africa and by waking up, I woke up from my slumber and that really was about the American dream. And, and I was on a path of the more, the better, the bigger, the better, the, um, I wanted to be known. Um, that's why I was a blogger. Not that every blogger wants to be known, but it was, that was my core need. I wanted a name for myself. I wanted to write books. All of those things aren't bad in themselves, but my motive wasn't, um, a hundred percent pure. It was, um, I've got something to say, um, please listen to me. And God used that to speak very clearly to me that I could continue to live a life that honestly felt pretty empty or, um, and really, I think I went on that trip without joy and purpose. And those are the two things that I have not lacked since returning. I have a lot of joy and a lot of purpose. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's how it started was just, a a reckoning almost, uh, God wrecked me. Um, and I came home and wanted to do something about it. Um, I wanted to respond, um, you know, doing nothing is a response to, and I had had a really difficult season in my marriage prior to that trip. I had had a premature baby, um, prior to that trip. I'd had some finance, I'd had all these opportunities really to respond in a way that was just, um, 
I'm going to live my life differently. I'm going to let Jesus be the center of my life instead of, you know, added. Um, and so after that trip, I just knew that this was an opportunity, another opportunity for me to respond in a way that, um, glorified him, changed my life mm -hmm. and brought joy and purpose. And that's exactly what it did. When, um, when we are faced with such a huge need, like you said, 75% of the world, mm -hmm. how do you know, this is for every person listening, how do you know which need to meet and how to meet it? Mm -hmm. Tell us, just tell us your process because every, everything is unique. Yes. I <clears throat> really truly believe that we change the world by changing one person's oh, I agree. world. <laughs> That's it. That's the answer to me. That right? my, like my, um, one person, my tagline is changing the world. One cup of coffee at a time. Tea mm -hmm. works too. And I don't sell coffee or tea, but, uh, and also that when you said that everyone is called to help the marginalized, um, you know, it's not just one person who's mm -hmm. called to do that. And because it's a command. And the other day right. I had, had 20 college kids for dinner. And so the college director was saying, Oh, Sue has the gift of hospitality. And I said, uh, okay, it, it is perhaps a spiritual gift, but it's also a command. So no mm -hmm. one gets a pass. Right. No one gets right. a pass. And, same and we with are really good at that. We're really good at like, oh, bless you. I could never do this. I oh, feel the same way. I've had people say that, oh, it's yeah. just because of who Sue is. And I kind of want to slap them, but I don't want to do that mm -hmm. because it's not very hospitable. But um, right. okay, so go ahead. So how did you start this particular way to meet needs? Well, I learned on that trip a few vocabulary words that <clears throat> I couldn't unlearn. And I do think once we know we're accountable and responsible. Mm. And up until that moment, I just didn't know. I didn't know how the world lived. I didn't know the average income. I didn't know that there were mothers who had no choices. And so they would actually put their own children into survival prostitution, which is prostitution for food and not money. I didn't know they were doing that to feed their families. And so I learned all of these things like survival, these new words, survival prostitution, <clears throat> orphan led homes. I just learned about the world and I, then it impacted me, right? Like that's the choice. That's that crossroads. How is, how am I, how is this going to change my life? What am I going to do? And I um, had a very clear moment where I, I, first of all, I came home from the trip, a disaster. I was just, a wreck. I mean, emotional, my husband and children met me at the airport with like flowers and a gift and I couldn't even open it. I was like, no, I, Oh, you don't want any I, more things because they don't have yes. anything. Oh, yes. the guilt, the guilt. I had guilt. I mm. swung to the opposite pin. You know, it took me some time just to figure out what is my new normal. Mm -hmm. um, my husband was like, who are you? And what is you with my wife? Cause yeah. <laughs> the wife I dropped off at the airport really loved a gift. <laughs> um, so I think just trying to figure out how to respond. And I remember this moment where I was just really kind of spiraling. Like I, I wanted to just freeze my normal and figure out how to change it. And obviously that is not something you can do overnight. And I remember my husband was like, what's the one thing you want to do? Mm. Like what, just what is one thing? And I said, I want to help a girl in Africa who is a survival prostitute. Like that was that. And I think it stuck with me because I was a mom, a young mom writing to moms. Mm -hmm. I was a mom blogger and <clears throat> I had like 
I identified with these young girls who were becoming mothers and they didn't want to be moms. And I was like, maybe I could harness, you know, this audience and we, I could connect them somehow and be a conduit. And so that, that was really the initial thought is I just want to help one girl in Kenya. Well, I want to say something, a commending thing to your husband (laughs) to help you because you were probably spiraling Mm -hmm. and thinking Mm -hmm. of all these things and what can I do? And it gets so overwhelming that we don't do anything. We can become stuck. So he, he said, what's one thing you could do? And it was manageable. yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, was right? it, was it meant well, to help one person <laughs> that, I mean, who would you send your money person. to? I mean, yeah. I mean, and who, who could you trust with what you're yes. trying to get? Well, and that, that's what started the whole, um, process. And I've actually, I have a book that chronicles this entire story. Cause it's a big, big story that I could okay. never probably live again. It's called rhinestone Jesus. Okay. Um, if, if you're interested in reading more, but, um, I, went back to someone I'd met in Kenya who was a part of this compassion international sponsorship program. She was a senior in college, had graduated from the program, was going to spend her life helping marginalized people in her community. And I, um, there, there'd actually been, you know, how God just like all the pieces fell into place that I would never be able to orchestrate again. Right. But I'm asking this question. I just want to help one girl. I'm there. I've honed in on young mothers. Um, CNN shared a documentary they had just done on the slum I was in that talked about survival prostitution. And so that happened all within two weeks. I sent that article to my one contact in Kenya and just said, is this true? Will you help me find someone who's helping these girls? And that question turned out to be very pivotal because she um, was in her early twenties at the time and spent weeks, about three weeks looking for an organization whose primary focus was helping that demographic of young girl. And she came back to me, you know, I'll never forget it. She messaged me on Facebook and said, I've exhausted the search. I've gone to churches and sponsorship programs and organizations, and I can find no one. She said, as a matter of fact, sponsorship programs, like the ones she grew up in, which are doing phenomenal things around the world, there are very few organizations that literally exist to step in once a girl gets pregnant due to survival prostitution. And I knew in that moment, I knew God was he was asking a question that terrified me. Um, and so long story short, which it is a very long story, but we began pressing into that question. What would it look like, um, if we did something? And so I used the money from my blog because at that time I was a full-time blogger. I didn't make a ton of money. I got more free things than anything, but, um, I took the income from the blog and I hired her to start a foundation in the country of Kenya. Um, She graduated from college and she was like, let's do it. I think by that point, three weeks of looking, she discovered the need in her own community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, we both asked the question at the same time to this day, almost 14 years later, she still runs. We have three maternity homes there. We will invite in our 82nd teen pregnant teen mom, um, in the next few weeks. So lots of babies, um, have been born, um, lives have been changed and we have artisan groups that 
um, are connected to the maternal health care component because um, what I didn't realize when <clears throat> I met that first survival prostitute, prostitute back in 2010, like I just wanted to help girls get out of the situation, um, but I didn't know that if you don't replace it with something dignified, they go right back to it because you do mm -hmm. need food or it, resources to live. Yeah. I, know I noticed you use the word dignified often in this mm -hmm. book. Uh, made to move mountains, and I, and it would kind of startle me, because mm -hmm. we're kind of used to. Well, of course, we're going to live with dignity, right? But but it's not, of course, for them. Exactly, and we have the <clears throat> largest number of slaves in the world today than we've ever had in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. And it's not just sex trafficking, it's labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, and we have had girls get pregnant from labor trafficking, as many as labor who were labor trafficked as those who were sex trafficked. And because they're attacked, they're attacked. Well, be because <clears throat> we're, we're consuming things that are not ethically made. And so people are paying a ridiculous wage or I've met people who were getting no money for their labor. They were owned by their employer mm -hmm. and they were being fed and that was their only benefit. And so labor trafficking is an enormous problem. And that's why we are very passionate about ethically made products because we're providing jobs for the women who are connected to our maternity homes. Most of them or many of them are family members, but we're also trying to educate people, right? Cause if you don't know, you just don't know. And, and I, once I do know, I don't want to contribute to modern day slavery, right? I don't want to buy a shirt that <clears throat> was made by a woman who was chained to a sewing machine. Mm -hmm. And there's so, there's a lot of resources, a lot of documentaries and education that is out there, you know? And so we're trying to shine a light um, and expose some of that, but also um, offer practical ways. Like if everyone's going to give a gift and we can, provide you with gift options that are ethically made. We know who made the product um, and you're providing a job and we're really interrupting that cycle of, of labor trafficking that is rampant in our world today. Uh, you've been described as brave to trust God with impossible things. I imagine you don't always feel brave. <laughs> no. I'm actually going to Kenya <clears throat> on Saturday this week. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would, that is the last word I would use to describe myself. I told my husband yesterday, I said, I really don't want to go to Kenya. And he said, you never do. <laughs> um, I think it's hard for me. It's as much joy and purpose as I have. It stretches me. It's uncomfortable. Um, it's not my, uh, I'm not an adventure seeker at all. Isn't I that love, funny? See, isn't someone, that funny? Someone would yeah. see the title of your book and say, I'm not going to read it because I'm not an adventure seeker. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what is so... Um, ironic. <laughs> not just ironic, but I think it, it intrigues people and it invites mm -hmm. them, invites mm -hmm. them to be who God really intended them to be. Yeah. Because yeah. we're all on an adventure. If you're going to surrender to God, there's going to that's be mount mountains to climb. Yes. Um, because he doesn't want us thinking we're so great. He wants us to remember mm -hmm. that we can only do great things with mm -hmm. his power. And um, the older I get, the realize how much, much more I need him. And I think that's, yes, I think that's I would agree with what God wants me to do. 
Um, you write, we were compelled to change the way we live so that others could simply live. I love that line. It's a great mantra in itself. Tell, and I think that's what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So we change the way we live in, in that we buy things that were not made by someone chained to a sewing machine. What other mm -hmm. ways, what other ways can we change the way we live? I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, generosity is a spiritual discipline. It's mm. when we think of spiritual disciplines, we think of prayer, silence, solitude, fasting. I think generosity is as much for the giver as it is totally. the receiver. <clears throat> and so I think, um, I want to be a part of what God's doing and, um, giving allows us access to that. Um, I think practicing Sabbath, this is something newer to me than it should be. I should, I should, you know, so, I'm a mature Christian. <laughs> um, but you know, part of the reason we practice Sabbath is to stop and rest. And now Sundays are a day that it's just the normal, regular day of the week. And so people who don't have the privilege of stopping and resting because maybe they're making minimum wage. We run through a drive through and we're just contributing to their lack oh. of ability to rest. And so <clears throat> I think living simply is a part of that. It's getting back to slowing down. And, and so like on Sundays, I try not, I've, I take a digital fast. I don't purchase anything on a Sunday. Um, so these are just little things that I can do. It's even, Amazon, even Amazon, even Amazon, even Amazon. I literally only put my phone mm. on for emergency calls from my family. Um, but it feels like a, a time for me to stop and process what God has done in the past week and to get some clarity and create some space, right. For him to fill because we're so busy. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about living simply, it's not just like in how I give and how I shop, although yes, it, it's also how I am consuming, whether it's social media, which is so addicting, like, you know, to be on it all the time or, or media in general, or, um, so it's more of a slowing down and simplifying, um, that I think is holistic. It's like our whole lives, um, <clears throat> because really the enemy, I personally believe he wants to keep us busy more than he wants to keep us anything else, right? Hurried and, um, rushing from one thing, even doing good things. Like mm. I've spent the last, you know, 13, 14 years doing good things for the kingdom. Um, but I could do that to my own detriment oh, and, totally. and really create a false sense <clears throat> of like, I'm, you know, helping the world and losing my own soul. And so I think, um, living simply to me is a whole life approach. Um, where I don't want to just not buy into the American dream. I also want to not buy into the American hustle and the mentality of we have to go and do all the time and not just be and sit still and be still with God. Um, I read recently, is God now pro-exhaustion? Hmm. And he's not. No. There are times no, we are exhausted. Not. As a mother of small children, mm -hmm. you are exhausted. Right. There are seasons for that. Mm -hmm. But it's not like we get a busy badge, you know, um, I'm, right. I have a high tolerance for busy. I like to be busy, mm -hmm. but I also like to hold still mm -hmm. and we need mm -hmm. the balance. I love what you say. It gives you perspective. Um, and also you said, why did you, you wrote this book because other people said, well, I can never do what you do. Mm -hmm. So what is it about the story in this particular book 
um, that would help someone say, stop saying that. Cause I've had people say that to me and I think, well, wait, yeah. wait, 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 God, <laughs> you know, right. I'm not, I'm not a pedestal, uh, you know, yeah. I sin daily and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's a way, I think we say that, which I've said it to people too. Um, it's a, in a, it's like, it's, I think we mean it as a compliment, <clears throat> right? Like you're, oh, sure. you're being obedient or you're, um, better than me in some way. But I think the enemy uses it as an excuse, like for us not to do anything. I agree. And so, um, I, I love my favorite Bible story. I really love Queen Esther because I feel like I have learned so much from her life of being positioned. Her, her position was really an imposition, right? But it was for a certain time and people and place. <clears throat> and it was, Gate, you know, I think of us as inside the gate because we have access to the world's wealth and we can keep it all to ourselves or we can share it. And I think Esther parallels that because she had the opportunity to save lives. Um, but my favorite Bible story, that Esther is just bonus, um, <laughs> is uh, the, just the, the little boy who showed up with his lunch, right? Yeah. His, mm -hmm. his small offering. Mm -hmm. um, I think instead of saying, I could never do that. I think we have to look at what's in our hands. We all have something in our hands. And I like to call it our sweet spot, which is like our skill, whatever we're good at. And it doesn't have to be anything spiritual, right? Like I am a right. very fast typer or I bake <clears throat> the world's best chocolate chip cookie, or I'm a good problem solver. Like, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And I think when you take those two things and couple them with God's timing, I like to call it a sweet spot, like that perfect collision of, so like I was good at writing, you know, I'm an English major. I love writing. I love telling stories. I knew that about myself. I had a, an eighth grade teacher who told me you are a good writer. Um, mm -hmm. Went through high school as the editor of the paper and then college, you know, that was what I was good at. My passion was motherhood. It took me um, six years to get pregnant with my first wow. child I wanted to be a mom more than I wanted anything else. And I love motherhood. And so I wrote to moms because that was my sweet spot. I think God's timing to use that for his glory is where Mercy House was born. Um, and that's my unique story. But I think we all have something that we're good at just innately, right? Like mm -hmm. we're good at something mm -hmm. um, and something we're passionate about. <clears throat> and if we, if we're passionate about orphan care and we're good at making desserts, what could we, how could we, you know, maybe there's something there, right? That, that we're going to have a lot of joy in doing because those are our two things, right? Our passion and our skill and they collide with God's timing. And so I think, um, just being able to identify that. And that's, I mean, you know, I think of the little boy with his lunch and fish, fish is, it was just, he offered what he had. There was a need mm -hmm. and he was like, this is what I have. And I feel like that is how I started Mercy House, why I started it. Like I was like, well, I have a blog and women read the blog and maybe I could use that. It's not much. I never expected for God to multiply it and do what he's done today. But then he gets the glory and I don't. And so right. I just think, what what is that that we have? I I passionately believe that we all have a sweet spot. And when we can give that to God, you know, and live that Romans 12, one life, I'm laying down, right, as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is my, it's, that's my reasonable act of service. 
God can do incredible things with it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when someone says, I could never do what you're doing, I don't believe it, right? Because I'm doing, I just showed up with my lunch and God's doing the rest. Mm-hmm. And so what's in our hands? Um, what can we offer? I think that is a, a great place to start. Yeah. And every woman wants, every man and woman, but I mainly speak to women, women, we want to know that our life matters. That's why I have Mm -hmm. this podcast. And to think about your sweet spot listeners, I hope you're thinking about right now, ask God to reveal to you because often women feel shame for past actions. Mm -hmm. And shame is from the pit and we're not pit people. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's also comparison hurts us Mm -hmm. a lot. uh, Because we think, well, we're not like her. But just uh, maybe we need a Sabbath day to think about Mm-hmm. what God's gifts are for us in our lives. And are we taking advantage of them? Because we do know when we have joy and when we're doing something that we're good at, we do know that innately. Yes. And that's and then, okay, right? That's a gift. It's more than okay. It's yeah. how we're, we're not supposed to live in drudgery mm-hmm. in our spirits. Right. You know, um, what keeps you from discouragement and simply quitting since there are always more mountains to face? Mm, that's a great question. Oh, I think abiding, um, I think I would have dried up and shriveled on the vine. Um, I think abiding in Christ is it that um, because this work is exhausting. We, our mission at Mercy House Global is to empower vulnerable families with opportunities that create hope. So we are actively stepping into the lives of vulnerable people on a daily basis here in our community, um, women who have been trafficked. Um, we're providing a safe workplace for them in our warehouse. Oh, here. so not so not just not in only Kenya. just in Kenya. Yes, um, we <clears throat> are working with refugees from all around the world who ended up resettled in Houston, and so they make all of our candles, all of our spa products. Oh. Um, so we're we actually changed our name to Mercy House Global because we're not just working in Kenya. We're taking what we've learned in Kenya and just loving our neighbors right here in our. Mm. Um, city in Houston, but it's exhausting work. It is mm. difficult. It's unpredictable. Um, and without there's the steady steadfastness of abiding in Christ, I would be a long, I would be, there's no way I would continue this. Um, and it's, it's a um, hundred percent necessary to abide in Christ. Um, because if we don't, we become strivers mm-hmm. and we end up building our own kingdoms. And I've had, there have been seasons striving for me. I'm very good at it. <laughs> I'm not so great at surrender. Um, and once you really learn how to surrender what's in your hands to God, it is the most freeing thing I've ever done. Um, and the, I'm, I'm more of a new surrender. I mean, I've, worked and and done all of this for a long time, but I, my pattern was to obey, um, surrender, pick it back up, strive, obey, (laughs) surrender. Um, and I got into this loop of like fear and worry would cause me to pick it back up. Mm. And, um, I God really convicted me a year ago that it was idolatry that I was trying to be God. That's when I would get consumed with fear and worry when I would step into the unknown and worry that I wasn't going to have enough. 
right? Like that's where fear comes from. And so I was pressing into this scarcity mindset and forgetting that God in his abundance is the author of all of this. It's not up to me for it to continue. And I'm obedient. If it ends, it ends. And so really like surrendering and, and staying surrendered has been the most freeing thing I have ever experienced in my life. I highly recommend it. Um, I'm okay with whatever happens. I literally (laughs) mean that with all my heart. If, um, if my work ends, I'm okay with that because it's his to continue. If my, my job ends and the work continues, I'm okay with that. I want what he wants. And being able to live in that place of surrender is, um, it is exhilarating because I think, I think a surrender, when you pare it down, it just means trust, right? Like I trust his plan and Mm. it's so much better than my plan. And, um, just learning how to get out of the way. And it's a wild ride, this life of obedience that I wouldn't trade for anything. So abiding, surrendering. I was going to say trusting God is, uh, I think the biggest unsourced method of evangelism Mm -hmm. because if people who don't know God see a person who Mm -hmm. actually trusts God Mm -hmm. then they will want that too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's beautiful I I agree with that and I'm living proof of that and I'm still learning I Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in a classroom right now called surrender 101 and Mm -hmm. I um it's it's weird to me like I was trying to describe it to my husband that I feel like this tiny seed of surrender was planted in me. Um, and it's grown and grown and grown and now taken me over. And I am like, whatever God wants, I'm okay with. And cause that's where he is, right? Like he's not surprised. He's sovereign. He knows what's next. And so, um, whatever mountain, appears on our path, which there are going to be mountains. There's a Haitian proverb that I share in the book that is like beyond the mountains, there are mountains. Oh, and I remember I was in Haiti when someone told me that because literally you turn around a bin on the road and there are more mountains. And I think that is so true of life. Um, But God is in the mountains, right? He's in the valleys. He's on the mountaintop and he's journeying with us and nothing takes him by surprise. Um, so I also stopped expecting it to get easy. I think I kept thinking I would have a season of like, Hmm, we've finally arrived and this is going to be easy. And I don't find that in scripture or in my own life. (laughs) So I've lowered my expectations. Like it's just going to be hard. Um, but it's going to be good and fruitful and a lot of joy and purpose. And that's a great balance. I know when I figured that out, not that I figured it out totally, but I thought, oh, I was kind of disappointed. I wanted things to get easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like retirement. I'm speaking to someone this afternoon about recalibrating our lives. And do we actually retire? Well, our mm-hmm. pastor says you don't retire, you retread. You, you do, <laughs> like I was driving six hours in LA traffic yesterday. I thought, how much longer do I need to do this? You know, I love mm-hmm. to do it, but could someone fly mm-hmm. me somewhere? That would be nice. Right. <laughs> But I also know my limitation. I'll I'll have more mm-hmm. limitations, and you will too. You might find. Uh, I think the beautiful thing is is if we can just say, "Oh, the work has stopped." Oh well, that doesn't strip me of my worth, right. and it doesn't depress. Right. It doesn't depress me because it's not 
my work. Exactly. And exactly. the problem with all of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, is that our identity comes from what we do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's so silly. But that's why we go through like, oh, our kids aren't home anymore. Or oh, our kids aren't calling mm-hmm. us anymore. Or our kids mm-hmm. have passed away before us. I mean, our whole identity is caught yeah. into something we've done always. Right. Right. And one reason maybe the Lord allows that stripping is to remind us, hey, I'm here. I'm over here. I've been here mm-hmm. all along. And guess mm-hmm. what? You belong to me. And that's your main thing. And your identity is in me. Exactly. Exactly. I right. love your um, self-description. I lead with a limp. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> it's Well, it's true. It's You still lead, though. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of us are leaders. Yeah. No matter. We don't have to start a mm-hmm. nonprofit to be a leader. It's very um, true. You say that God moves mountains, not by changing our circumstances, but by changing us. How is that a comfort, though, for the one who is desperately praying for a changed circumstance? I think that we don't always get to choose the circumstances. I mean, usually we don't. Sometimes we create our own circumstances that are hard, but oftentimes we don't. Um And I have a circumstance with one of my kids that I would like to change. Uh, She has a health issue. I I wish it didn't exist. Um, But her positivity and the way that she continues in spite of it, it is encouraging to me. Um, And I think we can glorify God with our attitude and our, um, not that we accept it and we give in to those circumstances, but he is bigger than the circumstance. And I think like hope, I always say hope springs eternal. Like when we don't have hope that he can change the circumstances and that he can miraculously change the situation, those are, you know, that's a dark place, but there's always the hope that he can do the miraculous. Um, But if he doesn't, we're still going to praise him. Um, these are hard words to live by, but I think the alternative is to be sad and miserable, (laughs) you know, and that's not very fun either. So you say nothing makes us feel more alive than stepping into the unknown. I'm not sure everybody would agree with that. I think, (laughs) I think that they might feel terrified more than alive, but is that the same thing? Yeah. Feel terrified. Yeah. Well, I mean, like when I think of feeling alive, it's probably terror, but um, you're so aware of the moment. And I think we're not always living in the moment. Oh, you're right. You're so, you know, we're like living in the next moment Hmm. and stepping into the unknown. It's like all of our senses because we're, we don't know what's coming next. And so our senses are more alive because we're expecting God to show up, right? Like that space between where we are today and where he's asking us to be like that first step into the unknown. And I mean, the very first day that we, my husband and I were like, we had spent months becoming, you know, a nonprofit. And we're like, we were going to announce that we're going to start this. And people thought we were crazy from family, friends, church. Everyone was like, you know, I I wouldn't say we were just overwhelmed with, with support. (laughs) We had a lot of people who were afraid for us. Like, you know, we've gone Uh, off on the deep end. mm -hmm. And so I remember the night that we like, because I was a blogger, like I launched it on my blog. Like this Mm -hmm. is what 
God has told me and my family to do. Um, that night, you know, when I hit publish, I told my husband, this is what it feels like to free fall mm. right now. Because, you know, just as much as God allowed it to be successful, um, and he did that for his glory and not because of anything I did, he could have just as well allowed it to not be successful. Mm. And there would have been incredible lessons to learn in that too. You know, it's not, it's not about the success or failure. It's about the stepping into the unknown, mm-hmm. um, because that's what stretches our faith muscle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we don't ever stretch that and we only do things that are known, well, that's kind of boring. Like yeah, it, it right. does make you feel, I don't know, this sense of awe that there's something much bigger than us happening. God is at work and we are his hands and feet. And I don't think that I was the only person who could have started Mercy House Global. I do not believe that. I think I might've been the 10th or 1000th person that God said, there's a need of it that needs to be met. And I, I said yes to it, but I don't think I was the first person or the only person he asked. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of questions in front of us. How, how are we going to respond to them? Someone told me once that trusting God is like, um, jumping off a cliff and finding out it's only a curb. <laughs> yes. But you can still, stu- but you can still stub your toe on a curb. I did just two mm-hmm. days ago, actually. Um, and we'll close with this question because there's so many, but if we only love the neighbors who look and act like us, we are not loving our neighbors. And um, I just think that's something that needs to be said more often. It's one reason mm-hmm. I wanted you on my podcast how can we take action steps today to love our neighbors who don't look or act like us? Well, I think we actually do ourselves an incredible injustice if we live in a bubble and surround ourselves. It's really an echo chamber and it's very unhealthy um, to only surround ourselves with people who look, act, think, feel the way that we do. One of the most amazing things that I'm most proud of um, is inviting survivors of trafficking to be my coworkers. Nothing in my life has, um, given me as much perspective and helped me to see my neighbor, um, as my neighbor and not as someone who, you know, fill in the blank, you know, how, however we stereotype people, um, which we do it, right. We have, critical spirits, whether we are doing it outwardly or not, we have thoughts that from how we were shaped or our own um, upbringing or whatever we were bringing to the table. Um, But to be able to open our hearts and our homes, our workplaces um, to people who don't look and act like us, who come from different backgrounds, the single hand, the most impactful thing I've done as a woman in a local business here in my community, um, because it, the perspective is incredible. Um, the opportunity to care for someone vulnerable is so life-giving. Um, and we have neighbors, no matter where we live, right. That we have vulnerable people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools and churches, and they aren't necessarily going to look like us. They, Mm. 
might have made choices that are different. Um, but I think heaven is going to look a lot like that. Right. Mm -hmm. I think eternity is going to be filled with people that we might even be surprised, right? Like, Oh, didn't know you were a believer. Um, and so we can experience a little bit of that heaven on earth by just opening up our, our homes and our lives. Um, I, I, it's something that I will never regret doing. Mm. Um, and it's, it's addictive. I want to do more of it because I love, um, I love what it's teaching me, um, Mm. how it's showing me to love people wholly and not with, um, preconceived ideas Mm. of who I think God is or who I think I am. Um, as you know, my podcast is on legacy. What legacy do you want to make sure that those who know and love you will receive from you? That's a great question. Um, I think we think bigger is better in our world and we want to supersize everything. And um, my legacy, like what looks like success doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. I think, you know, however many girls in Kenya or babies or artisans, um, I think God gets the glory for that. That's not necessarily my legacy. I think my legacy is how I make people feel every day. Um, right. Like that's not because I, I get some earthly reward for the work I do at Mercy House. I get invited to seats at the table that are an honor and, um, but it's how I made my kids feel right. Like it's how I treat my husband. Mm -hmm. So I think that legacy is an opportunity to, um, to be the same person. Um, I, I read, um, actually I was listening to a podcast the other day and they said that the number one reason kids don't, um, follow Jesus after they leave home there was this research done and then it, it surprised me, although I understood the answer, but it was hypocrisy. Of course. You know, like it's not that we didn't give kids access to the right things. It's that we weren't who we said we were. Mm -hmm. And I want my legacy to be that the people who know me most, um, who I've let in on the dark days when I, I'm not surrender, I'm striving and I'm not abundantly living. I'm leading from a pit. I want those people to be able to say she was the same person. Um, that that would be my legacy. Yeah, I was speaking to a mom's group the other day, and I said, you know, I think the the main um, lesson for us as mothers is to learn humility because mm. our kids our kids see us behind closed yeah. doors. Yes, And uh, may we show them that we are not always wringing our hands with worry, but clasping them in prayer instead. My mm. girlfriend said her biggest memory of her mom was looking down the hall and her mom would be have her door open. I wonder if it was on purpose and kneel by her bed praying for her mm. and her brother. Because yeah. kind of you know, she was a humble woman, Madge Miller. Yeah. And mm. that's, that's the legacy mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. gave her daughter that yeah. she's also passing down to her mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's a beautiful thing. And that's the main thing. Um, I think one of my questions is how does your life embody the welcoming heart of God? I would say maybe you answered it when you were saying how much you enjoy having um, these women come and work alongside of you. But if you want to add anything else. 
I think it's in the the daily mundane unplanned moments. Um, I'm a achiever. I like to get a lot done. Um, I like to accomplish things, set goals, but those aren't the, what, what I cherish. It's the unexpected moments of hospitality, um, that I think welcome God into my life and into the lives of others. And so, um, both are okay. You know, it's not a bad thing to plan and want to achieve and succeed. Um, but I think sometimes we miss the moments, um, and, and we miss the opportunity because we're trying to get to those big moments. Yeah. How can, how does this subscription club thing work? Yeah. So we, um, we really want to break the cycle of generational poverty because um, we realize that by taking away an undignified job like human trafficking, we have to replace it with something dignified. And so we have an artisan training center in Kenya where women and um, families are learning skills and they are creating products. Um, we've expanded that in the last eight or nine years to refugees in Houston and even some overcomers of trafficking locally. Um, and so, uh, you can join a club. We have five club options, earring of the month, bracelet of the month, handle of the month. We have what we call an original box, which is three to four items. And it's could be jewelry and home decor. It's a fun grab bag of ethically made items. Um, and then we have a quarterly box that is uh, heirloom items. It's um, a little more expensive and a little more, you know, it might have leather bags or um, wooden items for your kitchen that you're going to save forever and pass down. Um, so we have those five club options, something for every budget. Um, you can join um, at mercyhouseglobal.org, shop mercyhouseglobal.org, and um, you get build once a month and you receive something once a month and it's hmm. fun and they make great gifts. You can give gift subscriptions. That's what I was going to um, ask. Can you give, cause I'm going to yes. put this on my list for my kids to buy for me. Yes. So <laughs> you can sign up and, and choose the gift subscription off it, um, option. Hmm. And um, then it arrives to the person that you are giving it to. And there's a booklet that comes with um, the original box and the quarterly box that, uh, tell the stories of the products. Um, every item has like an artisan story card. So, you know, who made it and okay. how the purchase is impacting them. <clears throat> I know. Cause I got these beautiful earrings. I love them. <laughs> uh, thank you, Kristen. This has been such a blessing and um, inspiring and encouraging. And I bet your next book is going to be on something about Sabbath. I just have that. <laughs> I will. We'll see. I think you're, and I, I did um, learn that you're not, I've actually never taken a sabbatical. Um, mm -hmm. th this is the first time. And so I'm long overdue. Um, but I heard that you're not supposed to write a book during your sabbatical. So I'm going to rest and write uh -huh. and we'll just see if it becomes a book. But yeah, well, that's right. You take notes. You just take notes. Yes. And what that's the right. Holy Spirit's telling you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, we're excited to support you. And Thank you so much, Sue. I yeah. appreciate it. You're so welcome. I wanted to add that Christina so graciously 
uh, offered to give away her book, the one that I showed you at the very beginning, Made to Move Mountains, How God Uses Our Dreams and Disasters to Accomplish the Impossible. So thank you, Kristen, and we love this. Bye-bye, everyone. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.